You're listening to the Sojourn Mantras podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmantras.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always into the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Really, we're, we're in a season of our church in which we're trying to discover um, what it really means to, to be a church. Because I think in culture today, or in sort of at least the, the greater American expression of culture, we have some, some presuppositions or some understandings about the church that really, if we, if we go to the Bible, um, would probably be either changed, rearranged, or completely and wholly removed. And so what we want to do, we want to be a, a place really that's governed by, directed by the, the revealed Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks in this series that we've entitled The Church, which is a, a really creative title. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what we've been up to. And, and so where you find yourself in that is that we spent really the first three weeks kind of talking about how our identity as a people is really derived from, again, what the, what the Word says about us. And so uh, we saw that really Scripture is, is sort of a cohesive unit. It's not just sort of a, a mixture of a bunch of different stories that somebody was just kind of like, let's throw them in a blender and see what comes out. But that from beginning to end, God is always intended to have a people to himself, and that this people would not only belong to him and he would reveal himself to them, but that he would actually reveal himself through them as well. And so uh, we, we saw that continue. We saw that that was really continued in the person and work of Jesus, like that that's what he came to do, that the, the story of the Old Testament is really much about how this original people failed, and yet where we failed, Jesus succeeded. And so where we were faithless, Jesus was faithful. Where we were unrighteous, Jesus was righteous. And, and the gospel, the good news, sort of the, the fulcrum of, of the Bible is that, that Jesus did what we couldn't do in order that we might secure what we couldn't secure, which is the favor of God himself. And so then we, we saw that really the church is the people of God that have been brought together, joined together, held together on that foundation, the foundation of that truth, that confession. And then we talked about how the, how the Spirit works in that. And so we've, we've kind of talked about the identity of the church, meaning who, who are the people that comprise it? Who are, you know, what, what is it that we share? What is it that sort of makes us one body? Why is it that these people gather on a Sunday? But what we want to do now is really move into a season in which we talk about what is it that the church actually does? So we want to talk about why we preach. We want to talk about why we make disciples. We want to talk about why we observe baptism. We want, we want to explain all of those things and, again, arrive at a conclusion that's not simply, well, we've always done it that way, and much more, well, this is what Jesus desires for his people. And so that's, that's where we're going. And so last week we talked about preaching the Word of God. Today we're talking about making disciples of Jesus. And so um, if you have sort of any background in the church, you've most likely heard this set of verses before. And so maybe you walked in this morning and you're like, great, like I, I know this, I've heard this. Hopefully um, it, this will be still very encouraging for us, challenging for us. I want you to know just right now, um, 
I feel like I've said this almost every sermon in this series, so I apologize, but it, this is a subject that I, I, I have a tendency to get pretty uppity about, and so do, I'm not angry at you. I'm just excited about what this says about us, for us, and I think really there's, there's some great sort of danger and perils that if we don't bring them up, um, we're, we're going to end up lost at sea, and so uh, just know that. Uh, I think the conclusion will will help us to that end. But so there's uh, there's three things that we're going to talk about as usual. Um, we're going to talk about making disciples of Jesus. But what we want to do is answer essentially three three things. We want to talk about why we should make disciples of Jesus. So we want to sort of discover why that's important. And and if you're not a Christian in the room and you're kind of like this whole disciple thing sounds really weird, it just means follower. So it's 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 nothing crazy. I promise you. Well, it is a little crazy, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but we want to talk about why we should make disciples. We want to talk about why we don't make disciples and just be real upfront and honest about that. And then what we want to do is talk about why we can and will make disciples. And so those are the three things that we want to draw out of here. You could, we could talk about this text for probably four, five, six different sermons. And so I'm going to try to, to narrow it really to those, those three things. But for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, I just want to explain a little bit about where you find yourself in the Bible. And so we're in the book of Matthew, which essentially was one of Jesus's contemporaries, kind of chronicled Jesus's life. That's, that's why it's a gospel. It's the, the good news about what Jesus came to do. Um, and so we see all kinds of sort of portraits of Jesus's ministry all throughout the book of Matthew, whether it's preaching the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, which is really pretty famous, or whether he's healing people, different things like that, focuses a lot on on what the gospel is and how believers should sort of appropriate that gospel, like what it means to, to follow Jesus. And, and you find yourself really at the very conclusion of, of this book that, that Matthew has written. So what has happened to this point is Jesus has, has now uh, lived his life. He's died on a Roman cross, which we believe paid the penalty for our sin. He was risen in victory three days later over Satan's sin and death. And he comes to his disciples, to his followers. And this is sort of his last, like his parting shot. He's about to ascend to be with his father in, in the kingdom of heaven. And, and this is his, his sort of his last parting, final shot, final word um, before he does so. So that's where you find yourself. And with that said, um, let's go ahead and dive right in. So uh, we're just going to break it down really easily. Uh, it says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let's just take a break right there and just, just be real, real clear and simple about this. Look, it doesn't matter if, from this point on, it doesn't matter if he asks you to ride a liger over the, over the rainbow, okay? It doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever comes next, whatever happens after this, like, that's, that's all the impetus, that's all the authority, that's all, all that you need to sort of understand that like what comes next, it, it just has to be done. And so, and so that's, that's where we're proceeding from. And so when we, we, we want to answer this question of why should we make disciples? Why should the church be a place in which, we, in, in which followers of Jesus are cultivated, built up, brought into the family? Why should we do those things? It's very simple. Um, because Jesus is king and he said so. Because Jesus is, is king and he says so. And so here's the thing. He, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been, has been given to me. All of it. Not some of it. Not part of it. Not these parts. 
All of it has been given to me. And so he's been given a, a certain amount of power. What is he going to leverage that power towards? Right? We've, we've already mentioned it, but he goes on to say this. Go, therefore, so because all authority has been given to me, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus says, all of this authority has been given to me, and I'm going to leverage it towards this one simple thing. And that is that, that, is that you would make followers of me, that you would lead people to me, that they would become followers of Jesus, that they would follow in the footsteps that, that I have proceeded for them in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in goodness. And so let's just, let's just make a couple of distinctions. And so if you're, if you're not a believer in the room, just understand I'm, I'm probably going to use some words that sound familiar or strange, but hopefully this will, will help explain that. So when we talk about making disciples... There's, there's sort of two, two things that we like to create a, a false dichotomy between, and that, is that, and that is that we believe that making a disciple, it means that we just sort of get someone to repeat a creed or, or a belief or, or say a certain prayer, and then it's sort of, okay, in nomine patri, and then on your good. And the rest of whatever happens in your life sort of has no effect, no bearing upon that. You're safe. You prayed that prayer. You did this thing. You sort of walked down the list checked them all off, and now you're set. But that, but that making a disciple actually is making someone who goes on to follow Jesus, because what does he say? It's not just sort of a moment of conversion, although that's included in that, right? That a disciple is made that we then baptize them, but then what? It's, it's ongoing. It says we teach them to observe all that he has commanded, so this idea of making disciples and this idea that sort of that's divorced from something that we like to call discipleship is, is really not helpful because the, the journey to being a disciple is something that is, that is lifelong, is something that um, continues, that is progressive in its growth. And so I think what should be hopefully helpful for us in that, if we're Christians this morning, is understanding that, like, that time is a necessary ingredient to that. Like, so a lot of times I think, you know, we, we live in a fairly expedient culture, meaning we like things done, like, stat, do it now, get it done, and then move on to the next task, next place, next thing. And so we think, again, and I think churches, it, many of us have been in situations where it's, we kind of treat this command that way, where it's like, it's just sort of something that we're, we're supposed to check off, and that once it's done and dusted, it's kind of, but what... But what Jesus is alluding to here is a lifelong pursuit that we, that we go out and actually make followers of Jesus and that we go on to teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. And that at the same time as he's asked us to do that, that is being done to us. Like that we're being taught to obey everything that he's commanded. Like so, this, so this idea of sort of a distinction between making disciples and discipleship is, re- is really not helpful. It's, it's, it's one sort of cohesive journey. But here's what I want to get to this. So I, I didn't want to spend too much time focusing on that because I think most of us who are believers in the room should, should have sort of a framework for what that means. But what I, what, what I really want to, to sort of get us to is to kind of really examine, examine ourselves for a minute. Because here's the thing, all right? So this is where we've come to. Why should, why should we make disciples? Well, Jesus says he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's leveraged that to go and make disciples. So we should do it. Pretty simple. Easy as that. But here's, here, let's just bring it down real simple level. Very easy. 
All right, not, not all of us have children, but we've all been children at some point, right? So um, you've, you've either been a parent and said this, or you've been a child and heard this. Go clean your room. Go clean your room, right? Like we've all, we've all had that happen, or we've all done that at some point. Now, let's just think for a second how impressed your parents or how impressed you may have been with your child if they came back to you two hours later and said, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. And you know what? Actually, we were, I, was, I was so inspired by what you said that I got three friends together and we talked about it. And we said, man, how cool are our parents, man? They told, told us to clean our room. What a beautiful thing. How great would it be if I had a clean room? I mean, he told me to go clean it. This is wonderful. This is a, such a beautiful message. I, I will definitely be happier when I, when I go clean my room. And then we prayed about it. We prayed about cleaning our room. And we had a, we had a great time. It was such a, just a beautiful time of fellowship and encouragement. And this, everybody's laughing, right? Because that's ridiculous. Because no, your, your parents would be like, get up there and clean your room. Like finish, finish what, you, what I told you to do. And some of them, depending on their temperament, might have been a little bit more angry than that. But what do we do with this? Right, so, so your parents have authority over you. Like, that's granted, that's good. That when they tell you to do something, you should probably do it. Most of us do. Here's, here's the man, the King Jesus, who, if you are a believer in the room, you have staked your life on the claim that he has rescued you from Satan's sin and death, made you alive by the power of his spirit, and he says, go and make disciples, and we go, I don't know. I studied it, I memorized it, prayed about it. And not that, not that studying scripture is bad, not that memorizing scripture is bad, not that praying for God to do things is bad, but when that is not accompanied by some measure of an attempt, it's just kind of, it's just kind of silly when you back up and sort of think of it in that light, right? As silly as your parents might, might think you are in that moment. We should probably sort of look at ourselves and go, yeah, that, that is kind of silly that I'm not involved in that. I'm going to stake my life on the claim that Christ is who he says he is, and yet I'm not going to do what he's told me to do. So I just want to take a moment and address uh, those of you who are not believers in the room, because uh, I believe that some of you are here. Um, this all probably to some degree sounds imperialistic, right? Right? Like, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, right? Very sort of authoritarian, like, we're, like you could almost picture sort of a, a dictator giving marching orders to his troops, right? And maybe, maybe you've been in a church situation at some point that, that felt that way, felt very militant, felt very sort of like, we're going to go and, and do these things, but... What, what I hope that we'll see in this is really that although we have a checkered history, which we do, like, let me just, let me just admit that. And Christian, if you're, if you're in the room, like, it's okay to admit the fact that our history is a little wonky. It really is. Because the truth is, look, people have abused this text. 
Like people have taken this to mean certain things that they've used to sort of prop up a, a, a nation or sort of a, a, an authoritarian rule. They've used, they've used the Bible sort of not to the ends towards which it was created for, which was for God's glory and not, not man's. And so, and so here's what I would say. Like if, you've, if you have issues with sort of the history of, of the church, what I would tell you is those, those expressions, those moments in which the gospel was abused and the gospel was taken and, and used for the sake of another's glory, whether it be an institution, whether it be a person, whether it be a, a, even a political party, that that is never, that is never what this text, what Jesus intended for this commission to be used for. So he doesn't, he doesn't say, go make nation states that are Christian in nature. Right? So, Christians, we really freak out when we think about this idea of like the separation of church and state, right? Like we're like, no, we, we want those together. We want, we want to be a, a Christian nation. And look, man, uh, you know what a Christian nation is? A Christian nation is a nation with Christians in it. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus is going to call people from each and every nation unto himself. And so look, Jesus didn't call us as Christians uh, to to make this mistake of thinking that because our, our nation continues to forsake Christian values, that, that somehow he's not still reigning and ruling over all things. That somehow he needs us to like perpetuate his kingdom in and through the United States of America, which like all things will end. And so what, what I hope that we would see here is that the, the gospel of Jesus literally, just like he says here, stands above all things. And it shouldn't be peddled, shouldn't be used as a tool to sort of subject our nation to, to a morality and not to Jesus. Because that's where our allegiance lies. So, I, I, I think what this ultimately comes down to, especially for us the Christians who are kind of scared about, you know, there's, there's a lot of lament kind of in the Christian circle about like, the direction that our nation is heading, right? And I mean, and I think, I think some of that's valid. Like there's, 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 there's issues that we want to speak into with, with boldness, with confidence. But I think our desire for our nation sort of to be ruled as a theocracy is, is ultimately a symptom of our never-ending desire to outsource our responsibility. I mean, that's what it is. We've been, we've been called to make disciples. And for whatever reason, even though making disciples is not just getting people to check off a to-do list, we seem to think that if we can just legislate our morality, that somehow people are going to come to know Jesus. And that's not true. They'll just be a slave to another master. Look, people don't come to know Jesus through the laws of man. They come to know Jesus through the preached word, the revealed gospel of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And so look, if we're... If, if we're not doing that, then who is? And if you're expecting your lawmen to do it for you, one, Jesus didn't institute that. Two, good luck. It's not going to happen. So here's the thing. We don't, we don't politicize Jesus. We make disciples. We don't legislate Christianity. We make disciples. We disciple people and hope that by free, like uncoerced elections, great Christian principles will necessarily be a part of our, our cultural conversation. 
Look, you want to you want to change America. You want you want the direction of our nation to take a different shape. You want you want our values to be espoused in modern culture. Make disciples. Because look, the only thing that makes these valuable these values anyway any any possible way uh, uh, relevant or uh, even even attainable or desirable is the gospel of Jesus. You're not, we're not going to naturally want these things. That's what the Bible says about you. That if you're without Jesus, that you're dead, that you're an object of God's wrath, that you're apart from him, that you have, there's nothing good in you. There's none righteous. But that because of what Jesus has done, you have righteousness freely lavished upon you by his grace. Anyway, okay, I got to get off that. Um, all right. So why, why should we make disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and Jesus has said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. So, why don't we? Like, that's, that's the question, right? I think I've, I already touched on one of them, just sort of a, a, an, an unceasing desire to outsource our responsibility. And like, look, this is not, like, it, this is symptomatic, I think, of, of uh, the younger generation in particular. Like, we just don't like to be responsible for anything. You know, it's like if, some, if something bad happens to us, it's someone else's fault or because this thing didn't work or these things didn't come together and you're okay, you're just beautiful and everything's right with you and don't you worry, the world is just out to get you and you're just sort of down on your luck. When really it's like, no, you're just, you're you and you, you jacked it up. You know, like take some responsibility. You know, so, and so this is obviously, this is not in scripture, so I'm just ranting at this point, but... But I think, number one, like one of the number one reasons that we don't, seriously, we just want to outsource our responsibility. And look, whether that's, whether that's saying, well, let's just legislate morality so that people have to do these things, or whether it's, look, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm comfortable sharing the gospel, so why don't you come to church and just listen to my pastor speak, because he's paid to do that. Nobody's laughing at that one, because they're like, yeah, yeah, I've actually done that before. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't want to tell you about Jesus, but you can, come listen, you can come listen to my pastor talk about it because he studied throughout the week, you know, or whatever. But really, in that moment, like, and I, I, you know, if you're outsourcing it to me, like, we're hopeless. But anyway, um, and we'll talk more about that later. But, um, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, we want, we want to outsource our responsibility. We want somebody else to, to do it for us. Like, like, the good old American way. Like, if we just put some cash on the table... Take care of this for me, please. And we can't. It's unavoidable for a follower of Jesus, right? He says, look, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So being able to call upon Jesus as Savior and then not listen to him as Lord, it's not, it's just, it's not possible. It doesn't work that way. I think the second reason, so beyond just, just a general like wanting to shirk our responsibilities, um, the second reason that we don't is, I think, because we really just don't value Jesus like we say we do. Right, just, just take a moment, and w- so whatever field you're in, right, it doesn't matter if you're, a, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, or if you just have a hobby that you really like, you build furniture, you're an artist, whatever it might be, like, just for a moment, imagine, you know, the, the leading sort of pioneer in your field, comes to you and says, I want to take you under my wing. I want to teach you how to do what I do. I, I, personally, for me, that would be learning a fadeaway three from Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm short and white. I get it. Um, but if he, if he were to say that, let's just, you pick whoever you want. Famous actress, great actress, whatever it might be. 
Say, I want to take you under my wing. I want to teach you all that I know. I want you to be able to do what I do, how I do it. What would you do? I mean, most likely, I'm just saying, I'm just, this is a guess, you'd probably do what they told you to do. Like you, you'd, you'd probably be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm in for that. Whatever you say, I'm, I'm doing it. I want to be a millionaire like Warren Buffett. So like, just teach me how you move and shake the cash and I'll, I'll make it happen. And we do that because we value those things. We value being good at those things. We value having those things. We value owning or attaining certain measures of success more than we value Jesus. And then, so these last two reasons, I think, um, are sort of the most scary um, and, and maybe a little bit painful uh, for some of us to hear. Uh, but just know that I'm not saying this because I'm angry with anyone, but I do think that it's worth it for us to just be honest about where we are. It does nobody any good for us to, for us to lie. Like, this should be a place where you can be who you are knowing, knowing that, like, it's, it's safe. It's safe. It's okay. So if you're not a believer, that's fine. Ask those questions. If you are a believer... Deal with yourself with honesty because nobody's going to jump on you. It's the gospel of grace is that, that Jesus has already proclaimed good news over you. But so here's what I would say. There's really, if you're a believer in the room, there's really only, only two camps that you can find yourself in and, and not be making disciples. So if, you're, if you're, you've been a Christian for a long time, you've been around the church, you've been involved, you kind of you know, showed up at every, your parents made you go to everything, <laughs> you know, from felt board all the way to like big church, you know, you've been, you've been there through the whole thing and yet you've never had an interest in, never delved into, don't rub shoulders with non-believers, don't, don't make disciples, don't, you know, just kind of come, show up, enjoy, leave on your own sort of time whenever you want. Like if that's, if that characterizes your Christian walk, there's, there's one of two things that's, that's wrong. One, one of two things that that symptoms would, would, would point to. And the first one and the scariest one is that you're not really a follower of Jesus. Like that some people in this room today, think, you think you're a follower of Jesus, but have never engaged with at any level, even, even a base level desire to see disciples made in and through your, your life and ministry. Like, that's an, that's an issue. That's, that's a serious, serious problem. Like, that you've deceived yourself into thinking that following Jesus just means I bring a Starbucks to this building at 12 on a Sunday. And I don't, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, like, to just to scare you or to make you sort of doubt your faith. But what I am saying is, like, look, you should... Just like Second Corinthians says, you should examine yourselves. Because, because obeying Jesus, obedience to Jesus, is a natural outcome of being a disciple. That's, that's what this text tells us. Go therefore make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What is it that he's commanded? He's commanded us to make disciples. So look, if you, uh, look I'm not saying if you struggle with it. Okay, we, like, there's never, just so you know, spoiler alert, doesn't matter how good... You, you get at understanding the gospel, even communicating it, it's never not awkward. It will always be weird. But if you have just no desire, 
You're not compelled at all by the words of Jesus to go and make disciples. You can't think of someone in your life that you're like, man, I want that person to know Jesus. And I don't know how it's going to happen because I'm weird and awkward, but we're going to try this thing. There, there could be a very real chance that you are not a believer. And what, and what I would wish for you, what I would hope for you, what I would pray for you is that you would become one. Like that you would repent in faith, that you wouldn't be ashamed of that truth, but that you would step out and say, yeah, you know what? I don't think I've been a believer, but I certainly am now. I really do want to, I want to do what Jesus says because I believe he's changed my heart. I believe he's done what he says he's done. And the only other option, the only other option is that you're just, you're a disobedient child of the living God. You're that kid that he's told you to go and do something and you say, I studied that talked about it once, prayed about it, hoped that it would happen, but miraculously it didn't because I put forth no effort. And so the, look, the, the mark of a follower of Jesus is obedience. So here's the thing. Let's, let's just not get confused here because what I don't want us to do is to swing towards this idea, again, that we sort of have a, a legalistic mindset, meaning we have to do and be all of these things so that Jesus will love us because that's not true right? Contrary to most other systems of belief, what the gospel says is that Jesus loved us first and that therefore in loving gratitude, we say, Jesus, this is all yours because you've given me everything. And so let's, let's not branch over there, but let's also, let's live in that tension between the free grace of God through Christ Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to change our lives. Let's live in the tension between that and don't just be hearers, but be doers also. James 1, 22. Let's, let's live into that tension. Let's rest in the free grace of Jesus, knowing that our salvation is secure, but let's move into greater, deeper, more holistic obedience to Jesus because that's what disciples do. Now, uh, I think there's, uh, we're, we're going to talk about why we can and why we will now. So we've talked about why we should. Um, we've talked about why we don't. And now we want to talk about why we can and why we will make disciples. So I think there's a few common fears. Look, it, some of you, you're, you're a believer in the room, and you're like, dude, I, you're scaring me right now. <laughs> you know, you're making me rethink all kinds of things. And, and, and look, let me just say this. It's, it's okay to wrestle with, with fear. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. All of those things can be overcome by uh, the, the gospel of Jesus. And, and so hopefully this point will, will help us out on that end. Um, so here's our hope, right? I mean, ultimately, ultimately what it is that, that Jesus has asked us to do is something that's impossible, right? I mean, if, you, if you've ever been sort of in a situation in which you've had to share your faith kind of publicly and you begin to listen to what you're saying, you're kind of like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, so what I'm saying is that 33, 34, 35-year-old man, however long you really think that kind of lasted, um, Jewish carpenter, nobody, didn't have a home, homeless, sort of wandered throughout this desert area and that somehow his death on a cross has secured for me righteousness before a righteous, holy, loving God that cannot accept anything but perfection, and because we couldn't do it, he supplied it in his son. Yes, you know, I'm just saying, like if you just want to step back for a minute and apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, like that's kind of weird. And yet, look, there's, there's great hope in all of this. Like, look, there's, there's nothing about that story 
that can come alive to you, that can be real to you, unless the Holy Spirit has changed your heart, changed your mind, unless you've been transformed by the renewal of your mind. It just can't. But so here's the, here's the hope that we have in this. I right, see, I think, I think a lot of us tend to look at this particular text and we, we see, again, Jesus as sort of like um, this, this authoritarian sort of ruler that's kind of barking out commands. And yet I think if we read his words, there should be something really, really comforting. He says all, all authority, all authority in what? In heaven. So all authority in heaven. So all spiritual, all metaphysical, all philosophical, and all religious power belongs to Jesus. What else? In heaven and on, and on earth. So all social, all physical, all political, all economic power belong to Jesus. And so when he says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, you, you can go in confidence knowing that, like, that we are in league with the king. That we go with his authority. Like this should fill us with boundless confidence. I mean, knowing that our resources are not meager. Look, if we're, if we're just very honest with ourselves, I don't think there's anybody in this room that is crazy enough to go to the nations with the, the doubly ridiculous and incredible message of a crucified and resurrected Jesus if he wasn't Lord. Like that if he wasn't over, over all, in all, and through all, like why, why would, it would be fruitless. Wouldn't be worth your time. But he is. And then what does he go on to say? The very last, the very last part of the final verse says this, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's the thing. If you're a Christian in the room and you feel like, you know, man, I have my bad days. What, like, am I supposed to just sort of flog myself for that? Well, no, look, Jesus doesn't say, um, I'll be with you most days or I'll be with you on the good days when you've prayed for four hours and read through the entirety of the Bible. But he says, I'll be with you all days or always until the very end of the age. So Jesus not only has authority, but we have Jesus's presence with us. So it's not just sort of like, it's not just sort of, all right, go and figure it out, but it's go and I'm coming with you. We're going to go to work together on this. And so as hopeless as this whole idea, as, as daunting as this idea of making a disciple, as foreign as it may sound to you, like Jesus has given you his presence for his purpose. And so that's what I think ultimately we need to sort of come to, to an understanding of. Because I think a lot of times, even, even with this verse, which is just insane to me, but even, even with this verse, people will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'll be with you till the end of the age. They think, great, Jesus can like fix my Volkswagen or he'll buy me a new house, you know, or something weird like that. Look, Jesus, Jesus didn't give us his presence so that we could sort of genie in a bottle him. Like when I need something, I'll sort of just call, I'll sort of summon, summon his goodness and he'll just kind of do what I need him to do. And then back in the bottle, please. But that he gives his, his presence, he gives his presence in order that we might actually do what he's called us to do. And look, that should be comforting for us. Because look, we, I know 
this sounds ridiculous. This sounds crazy. How do we do this? How do we, how do we talk with people in such a way that they actually, they, they actually begin to think that what we, what we believe is not insane and that we're not some brainwashed group of weirdos? Well, it's, it's going to be because Jesus is with us. It's going to be because we're the people both to whom he's revealed himself and through whom he's chosen to reveal himself to the world. Because what God decrees comes to pass. And so here's the thing. I, I, I need to wrap it up. But um, I think what most sort of exemplifies this for us is, is the, the tone and the posture of Jesus. Now again, our, so our temptation... Our temptation is to read these words and to look at Jesus as sort of a, a kingly, he's, he's got a cape on and a scepter and a big hat and really flowy, long blonde hair, and he just sort of booms from the heavens. He says, go therefore. He's kind of ordering his troops into battle. And we think that he's just sort of maybe, maybe a little bit annoyed, maybe a little bit kind of angsty, maybe a little bit like I'm talking right now, sorry. Um, <laughs> But we, you know, we, and I think honestly, probably the way the way a lot of pastors preach this stuff, sort of reinforce, reinforces this idea that Jesus is coming to this place and he's just kind of he's, you know, just do it, go now, stat. Like in our expedient culture, that's what we want, right? And yet, we have a great clue to the posture of Jesus when we read from verse sixteen. So it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, now just take a moment for yourself. These are the disciples. They, they're literally looking in the face of the risen Jesus. Okay, so it's like, you know, if I was Jesus, which fortunately I'm not, um, cause I'm very volatile, but, <laughs> but like in that moment I would have been like, look, dude, I'm, I'm raised from the dead. Like what more do you want from me? I, I was dead. Now I'm alive. All authority. Like what, how are you doubting right now? The, the risen Jesus, it says they worshiped him and some doubted. And so we would think again, we would think that Jesus in that moment would be kind of like, okay, you know what? Let's just, we'll just find somebody else. You guys hang here. I'm going to accomplish it through somebody else. Do your thing. You guys aren't much use to me anyway. You, I rose from the dead. I'm in front of you. I'm teaching you. I'm telling you. And you still are going to doubt. And yet, the very next verse, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, so what is Jesus' response is not to recoil from that moment and say, I'm just done, hands off. But it's, but it's to lean in and gently, meekly, compassionately, lovingly say, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Surely I will be with you to the end of the age. So he's not, look, he's not weak in this moment, but he is meek. He's meek. He's gentle. He's compassionate. He looks at these worthless sort of like just weak disciples, people that have seen the risen Christ who are still doubting and yet choose to worship him anyway. And he leans in and he says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Look, I think, the, I think the tone, the posture of Jesus here is less of a bellowing roar and command and more of a soft, strong, confident, compassionate, and humble king. Like, do you realize what he just said? All authority is mine. And you're sniveling, groveling, little, you know, just, but I'm, I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to pick your head up. I'm going to remind you who I am. I'm going to remind you that I'm the sovereign king of this universe. I'm going to remind you that I'm going to have a nation. I'm going to have a people unto myself, both to whom and through whom I will reveal myself. And you're going to be a part of that people by the sheer glorious riches of my grace to you. And you know what? You're going to make other disciples. And they're going to be from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation so that around the throne there will be a cacophony of language and worship to Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's, that's what Jesus is doing here. So look, although, although I've kind of sort of you know, beaten you around the head and neck area a little bit, just, just know Look, my desire in this, Jesus' desire in this, is not to put upon us a weight that we cannot bear, but to show us that even this weight he bears with and for us. It's amazing. Behold, behold your king, meek yet powerful, omnipotent yet patient, This is the Jesus who is with us on our disciple-making journey. This is the Jesus who changes hearts and lives in that moment of conversion, but goes on to change them for the rest of their lives as we grow more and more into the likeness and image of Jesus through our obedience that is all rooted in the glorious riches of God's gospel grace to us in Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to take root, to take effect on our hearts. Let's pray.